Hi, everybody. I'm George, and this is The Best Little Horror House in Philly, the show where we talk about the best horror movie ever made, according to our guest, at least. And today's guest is the Discord dad for Gorley and Rust, along with one of the hosts of Nerds, Geeks, and the Kitchen Sink. Dustin Kreft is back and flying solo this time. Hey, bud. Hey, what's up? I'm so excited to be here. I'm, I'm like yeah. so excited to talk over you immediately. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here. Let's do this. Hell yeah, man. I'm, I'm psyched to have you on. Uh, you're one of the most knowledgeable horror people I know, and uh, I'm really excited to uh, dive into this. You, oh, hey, man, don't give me that face. You picked, you picked a, real, a real deep cut today. <laughs> we're getting into it. We're going we're gonna to have a lot of fun. But okay. before we get into today's movie... On the episode in which you previously appeared, the Trustees episode, where we talk about Friday the 13th Part 2, excellent episode. I recommend you all check it out if you haven't already. Oh, yeah. We didn't really have a ton of time to dive into people's history with horror because there were 12 of us. Yes. So we couldn't quite get to everyone if we were going to do that. So now let's get into it. You finally have the floor to yourself. Where did it all start for you? That's a tough question. It's one of those things where I can point to a couple individual things. I remember seeing certain things on TV as a kid or reading certain books. But it was it's almost like this culmination. And then all of a sudden, I'm watching The Exorcist at 12. <laughs> I, I don't know the exact reason why I was always attracted to it. But one of my earliest memories is going to the library. My grandfather would take me to the library all the time. He would go to the bar across the street and uh, just let me hang out in the library. And I remember checking out this one book. It's so clearly in my mind. It, it was all about this. It was all about scary things and horror and ghosts and things. And there was one illustration of someone being buried alive that <laughs> just destroyed me. I couldn't sleep for a week. I mean, it was it was so scary. And every time I would go in the library, and we had this old library too in town. It's just it's this beautiful old building. It's a Carnegie Library, and it, it is like uh, there's just a weird vibe in there anyway. And I'm in there by myself reading this book about witchcraft and uh, dead people and zombies and stuff. And I, I know I remember that very clearly. So that may have been the beginning of something. I don't know. Yeah. So plus, Ghostbusters sets up scares in the library too right away. You better believe it. You better believe it. Uh, and then, so, you know, it was always, my parents had satellite TV when I was a kid, so, and I was pretty, I was an only child, so I was pretty unmonitored, too. They were always at work or doing other things. And so my TV time was to myself, and I'd always find, you know, those weird, those weird movies. I remember seeing, like, half of Army of Darkness and having my mind, I mean, blown. <laughs> I mean, for real. I, I couldn't believe it. And my dad walks in the room and sees, like, uh, Bruce Campbell cutting someone in half with a chainsaw, and he goes, nope. Nope. <laughs> and that made me want it more. And sure. as you can see, I don't know if you can see this, but I got my old, the old, there oh, it is. Yeah, there That's it great is. for the listeners. They love to hear about Groovy. what shirt I'm wearing. <laughs> Use context clues there, folks. Based yes. off the quote, can you guess? <laughs> <laughs> right in if you know. Yeah, I believe in you all, I'm sure. That's awesome. That sounds great. And it's so funny, too, that, you know, when someone is like, no, you can't watch this. Of course you're like. Well, yeah, that's the exact wrong move, Dad. That's the magnet. <laughs> yep. Awesome. Well, so I mean, you've you've mentioned Evil Dead being one of your favorites to me off air. You know, yeah. you're like you're wearing an Evil Dead shirt. I'm actually just going to spoil it for people. Oh, uh, we set all that up. I know. But Damn you are, it, George. It's true. You're wearing an Evil Dead shirt. <laughs> I, I'm curious to hear about what kind, like what subgenres you're into, because that's such a unique movie that it almost doesn't fall into. Anything I would absolutely agree with you because the things that attract me to Evil Dead, 
I think are the things that aren't the typical horror things. I, I love that it has those, the gore and the crazy, you know, the, the scares and stuff. But uh, really, the, the things I liked about Evil Dead, I think that initially drew me to it was that it had so much slapstick comedy and DIY, you know, this you could do this. Mm-hmm. So in high school, I, me and my friends would always try to make movies and be filming things and writing things and, uh, you know, screwing around with cameras. And I learned a new camera trick where I made my friend disappear. And now there's a, uh, we said there was a ghost in the house. I don't know. Um, but so yeah, evil, evil dead for me, it was kind of a illuminating and not just about horror, but also just movies in general. It just really set me ablaze in many, many yeah. ways. So for sure, man, that evil dead, evil dead one, I, I saw them sequentially too. So uh, Evil Dead 1, I'm like, whoa, this blows my mind. Evil Dead 2, I couldn't believe it. I, I was, oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, mind it's blown. amazing. There's yeah. a reason that it was picked as one of the best horror movies ever made on yeah. this very show. It sure Early is. Too. But it's, it's funny, though, because you, you asked me about my, my genres and my subgenres. I, I also have this huge love of the paranormal, which mm-hmm. we might talk about a little bit today, sort of. Yeah. Uh, I, I just can't get enough ghost stories, haunted house stories. I think it's to do possibly with, I remember very clearly, just changing a channel and all of a sudden Amityville 2 is on and I'm probably seven mm. at the time. And I see some terrifying things happening in Amityville Horror Part 2 that I didn't have any context for. <laughs> and it, it really scared me badly. Yeah. Again, and I, uh, I spent a long time trying to find the movie. I didn't know what movie it was. Wow. Uh, I only recently found out what movie that even was. And uh, so, but it's, it's just something about the paranormal, the ghosts. Uh, I, I will watch any haunted house movie. Anything. Wow. Put it on and I'll watch it. Hell yeah. Hey, I respect the hell out of that. But the movie we're talking about today does deal a little with the paranormal. We're talking about 1960s The City of the Dead, released in the U.S. in 1961 as Horror Hotel. Now, this is a really interesting one. There's a lot of kind of just fascinating... Uh, I don't know. There's like we said, there's something in the air in yeah. 1960, <laughs> and and we'll get into it. But George Baxt wrote this script uh, based on a story by producer Milton Subotsky, uh, originally intended as a pilot of a television series starring Boris Karloff, who is most famous for playing Frankenstein's monster and the Mummy in the Universal classics, which makes it particularly interesting that ultimately it fell to Christopher Lee who is famously Frankenstein's monster and the mummy in the <laughs> Hammer classics. Yeah. <laughs> what a what an interesting choice. And, you know, it, they do have a lot of that same kind of innate charisma oh, yeah. to them. And so I can see sort of where the line of thinking was for them to be like, well, we didn't get Boris. Let's go to Christopher Lee. Yeah. But it's absolutely to the movie's benefit because I think that Christopher Lee really nails the American accent, too. He does fine. He does. Yeah. He does great, and he's. I won't go too far, but he his glowering in this movie is off <laughs> the charts, unparalleled, unparalleled. <laughs> and one of his other famous roles, Christopher Lee's, is Lord Summer Isle in The Wicker Man, which I think exists kind of as this really interesting mirror image of the City of the Dead. Absolutely, they both deal with the relationship of modernity to more traditional views as well as the occult getting involved in there. The difference lies in general paganism for the Wicker Man versus specifically witchcraft here and Satanism. And the atmosphere is where also they differ. This is where the sort of like mirror image really comes into play because the Wicker Man is this lush production 
that primarily takes place during the day. It's inspired a lot of movies like Midsommar. And you compare that to this movie, which is this very creepy and atmospheric, unnaturally fog-filled nights. Uh, you know, it's this beautiful monochrome color. It's it's just spectacularly shot by Desmond Dickinson, who is the cinematographer. And it's just so interesting to see Christopher Lee really... I mean, Christopher Lee is not the main character in this, in no. this movie by a long shot. But but to see him, he's also... I wouldn't even call him necessarily the main character in The in the Wicker Man either. You know, he, he exists there as this antagonist, but he he has such an innate presence to himself that he just really uh, brings so much to these movies. And, and I just think that they are both fantastic in their own unique ways while being kind of similar in, in ways as well. 100%. Yep. The, the similarities there are, are pretty huge. And the Christopher Lee of it all just <laughs> makes it that much better. Again, his glowering. I can't stop thinking about it. And, and, and he's, he's pretty young in this movie yeah. and, and dashing. He's, he's so handsome. He, you really, he is perfectly cast in this movie. And, and, and just to jump around again to, to you talking about the atmosphere, that's why I love, that's spoilers. That's part of what makes this the, absolutely the best horror movie ever made. The atmosphere alone sells it for me. Yeah. All I need is some fog, some <laughs> trees, some, some tombstones and some old buildings and some, some weird people wandering around our street. I'm interested. I'm on board. Sign me up. I love it. Hell yeah. I mean, they, and they absolutely nail it in this. It's it's gorgeous. And Milton took this pilot script and he did a few rewrites to lengthen it out, including a new romance subplot where he added a boyfriend for Nan who could come looking for her as well. Uh, and he also brought in Max Rosenberg as an uncredited producer. So this was technically a Vulcan production, but part of what makes this movie so interesting uh, and, and kind of etches out a place in history is that it's sort of a precursor to the famous Amicus productions that these two would go on to create together. And Amicus was a rival to Hammer Films. They also used actors like Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee, both Hammer mainstays. They also had a similar visual style, although more often than not, the Amicus films were set in present day as opposed to Hammer's period pieces. It's just kind of the prototypical Amicus movie. It's, it's really fascinating to see the pieces of it sort of coming together without having the name attached yet. Yes. In the director's commentary, he mentions, people always ask, oh, were you trying to compete with Hammer? Is this supposed to be some Hammer shot at Hammer? And he's like, I've seen two Hammer movies ever long after. He's like, yeah. this was our own thing. It was, not, it was not meant to be a shot at Hammer or anything like that. No cash in. It was a movie he wanted to make. It was his first, this was his first feature film. That's right. And uh, it, it was just the movie he wanted to make with the people he wanted to make it with. And he, he does a great job with it. Amicus, I think that what's also interesting, in particular about this movie, is that Amicus would go on to create some traditional narrative horror movies, uh, including also two Doctor Who movies that ignore the backstory of the show. I've and seen those. They're amazing. Peter, Peter they Cushing is the Doctor. It, it is, he's just an old man with a crap? thing called the TARDIS <laughs> that he's got. It's crazy. He's mainly helpless. Have you seen them? I haven't seen them. They're worth they're worth checking out. They're oh, bad, but they're fun bad. It's fascinating because like so I I have seen David no, I've seen Eccleston through uh Matt Smith. And one of the few things that I've really retained from it is 
he's an alien. His last name is not who. And those are like the two things that they change. They completely ignore. Yeah. But the movie, the one of the movies has, has Daleks and everything. I mean, it's all there. It's Doctor Who, but it's totally not Doctor Who. uh, Peter Cushing. Incredible. Yeah. Uh, another very handsome young man, I will say. You know, when he was younger, I just watched one of the. Speaking of Hammer, uh, I think Revenge of Frankenstein. Oh man, something yeah. like those that. cheekbones, baby. Yeah, holy cow! <laughs> Quite the dashing gentleman, I will say. Yeah. So Amicus made these narrative movies, but they also really made a name for themselves, making what they called portmanteau horror, uh, more commonly known as an anthology film. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did the original Tales from the Crypt and Vault of Horror, also Doctor Terror's House of Horrors. <laughs> Great name. Uh, And many others. And that's really uh, sort of where their bread and butter was. And I, they're good. I like that Tales from the Crypt movie a lot. Those movies are all fun. Yeah, those yeah. movies are fun. I anytime they're on, like if you have um, like over the air TV, like one of those, uh, you know, like digital antennas, you can yeah. get those movies are always on. They're playing somewhere. Turn like it on late right at now. night. Yeah, <laughs> uh, they're just they're always on. I, I, yeah. you, you, you'll find them. They'll find you. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. They're coming. As we kind of alluded to, there was sort of this like interesting genre mood that permeated the air because this movie pulls together a lot of aspects of of, of things that are found in the, its peers, despite them all being in production at the same time. Yeah. So it's not even like, oh, they ripped them off. It's just they have the same sort of plot device that feels similar to Psycho and the beginning flashback and general witchitude of it all feels very similar to uh, Mario Bava's Black Sunday for me. Yeah. And uh, City of the Dead, City of the Dead and Psycho released within four days of each other. Four days. It's insane. And the things that are in common, if you really look for similarities, there's so many things. It's crazy. It really is crazy. And and, uh, Black Sunday released a month prior it released in august of 1960 yeah and and it's not like any of these are like lesser than they totally managed to accomplish what they're going for maintain their unique identities but still have these really cool similarities as well yeah almost like the wicker man as well (laughs) (laughs) tied it all together my mind But yeah, so this was first-time director John Llewellyn Moxie at the helm. He had a budget of 45,000 pounds, and uh, they filmed on a studio in England, creating the fake Massachusetts town of Whitehall there. Uh, Whitehall? Whitewood. Whitewood, excuse me. Is it uh, Whitewood you seek? That's right. Creating the fake Massachusetts town of Whitewood there. But it works in a really interesting way, because you know if you look for it being a studio, you can tell, but... (laughs) It kind of creates this like pocket universe where it could be real. It all, it feels like Hobbs End in in the mouth of madness. To me, I think kinda. I think you're mostly right. There are some moments when for me it kind of comes apart. Like in particular when when they're all gonna head to Whitewood at the end to find Nan, and yeah. you see like Christopher Lee's looking out the window, and then the other guy is <laughs> getting in his car, but then another guy's looking at the other guy getting in his car, and <laughs> and it's like wait, are they all on the same block? Like there is no establishing <laughs> shot. There is no you don't see what houses they're in. You see you see a car and like maybe a small piece of a building behind them. <laughs> there's no, there's nothing. It's just like a shot of someone going, oh, and then another person going, oh, and you just assume that they're driving somewhere. It doesn't break the movie or anything, but no. there, that's one of the examples of it kind of comes apart right there. Well, I will also say, though, that they're not in Whitewood when that happens. And no. so 
when they enter Whitewood, that's when it cre- they sort of enter the pocket dimension. You're right, of, and, and of, when you say it like that, absolutely, this mist-filled sort of Silent Hill type town, almost. Yeah, it, it is kind of proto Silent Hill in some ways. That's right. That's right. We're see, folks. We're really stumbling on some big stuff. Here. I know you love Silent Hill. I know I sh- you love Silent Hill. Ooh, boy, I listen to the I show, George. I love the show. <laughs> Well, I appreciate that, and I appreciate your knowledge of my love of Silent <laughs> Hill, because it's very true. Yeah. And, I mean, I already kind of talked about it with the cinematography, but the way that this movie looks is fantastic. Not just the monochrome coloration, but also in the director's commentary, he talks about having a preference for two and three shots as opposed to a bunch of cuts between talking heads. That's right up my alley. I love when you can just watch people interact with each other. There's body language involved. You don't just get people's emotions from their face. I think that having an understanding of that, trusting your actors to know some lines and and be able to carry a scene for a little bit, huge. It goes a long way. And one thing he says in the commentary, too, I guess we both listened to it. (laughs) He says, uh, instead of doing a bunch of quick camera moves, let the people move. It's it's a different kind of action that you get to see. Yeah. It, it almost seems as though he thinks that cutting a lot is lazy in some yeah. way. Um, hey, he said it, not me. Yeah, yeah, and it's fine. <laughs> um, but I, And I can understand what he's saying. It, it feels more naturalistic to, to have everyone in the shot, and if something needs to be shown close up or come closer to the camera, the person will move. The camera yeah. moves very little in this movie. It, it's not boring, though, in my opinion. No. It all no. works. Especially because since it looks so interesting, mm-hmm. taking this time to let you really soak in the scenery in the background and be like, oh, is that like a skull hanging on the wall? Like, yeah. it's, it's just fun. Letting you take in the movie is to the movie's benefit. Mm-hmm. It made a small profit, but was a, a disappointment financially is as much as I could find. Yeah. As far as its, its success. I also could not find a single contemporary review. I checked... <laughs> The Philly Library, the University Libraries. I scoured the internet. I even recruited my pal Mike over at Rotted Reviews, who did a worldwide newspaper archive search. Whoa! And, and it would appear that not a single published author reviewed the film at the time, at least not that we were able to find. Pocket Universe. Pocket Universe, folks. <laughs> But it's, it's great that people have sort of rediscovered it over the years. Thanks in part both to the nice Shout Factory Blu-ray, which looks really good. It, that's what I have, and it is worth owning. I'm urging people to get it if you can get it. It yeah, is unbelievably it good looking. Oh, man, get it. And, and it's got some great commentaries, some great features. They got to Christopher Lee before he died for this. He's got a right. commentary for this. And they even got the director, who I think passed away in 2019. Yeah. They got him, too. Full full comment. It's, so, it, it's such a good package for this movie. I urge people to check this movie out. Absolutely. I second that. And it also got a few popular bands to reference it, mm. including Iron Maiden in the music video for Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter. Mm-hmm. And... Of course, I would be remiss not to mention Christopher Lee's line of fear, superstition, and jealousy at the very beginning of the Rob Zombie classic, Dragula. Dragula. Which, uh, okay, hang on. Can we just, what is that song about? It's about burning through the witches. Okay. Slamming through the ditches, bro. I guess it's loosely connected to witches. I guess, okay, you know what, Rob Zombie, I've never said this before, probably won't say it again, but you get a pass, my friend. Yeah, one time. You get a pass. This is your one-time pass. pass. Now get out of here. (laughs) He's in the room with me right now. Sorry, Rob. You gotta go. (laughs) 
he's he keeps asking why Halloween is banned from this show, and yeah. I keep saying, "I'm sorry, Rob. It's yeah. just it just is. You gotta go." <laughs> to get into the actual movie, it opens up in this beautiful credit sequence, nice and understated. You get to really soak in that color scheme, and and you get. I mean, this may not have been the case at the time, but now. It lets you really transport yourself. You know, you kind of get to soak it in, be like, okay, this is the kind of movie it is. It's nice and slow, and you get this beautiful black and white. You can't do this movie if you're not soaking it in. Right. It won't work. You, yeah. you, you can you can do it all. You can watch it all you want, but if you're not paying attention, if you're not in the zone for this, it's going to seem cheesy and terrible. Yeah. You have to get in the zone. I was thinking about this before we before we got on, but this movie, the movie itself, and I'm going to try to make a point here. I'm not good at these kinds of things, but <laughs> the movie itself, the way it, can work on you is the same way that the witchcraft works on Nan wow. and no one else in this movie. She got invested, it got a hold of her, and she was really paying attention, but no one else in that classroom cared. Right. But Nan was so interested and so fixated. Wow. And and it worked on her all the way. This yeah. movie is that. This movie's magic, dude. It's witchcraft. That is some beautiful meta commentary that I'm sure was intended. Oh yeah. <laughs> And it, it dissolves to the burning of Elizabeth Selwyn in 19, or excuse me, not 19, imagine that, in, in, <laughs> in 1692. 1962. <laughs> but, I mean, the introduction to her is so fabulous. Uh, the raucous crowd being silenced from, by a glare from her, her just complete defiance. Uh, I, I just love it. This is Patricia Jessel, and she is just fantastic in this role. I, I mean, I want to say that she's on fire in this movie, but that might be that wow. Might be, that might we be went too, there, folks. too far. We went there. Uh, no, she is. She's so great. She's one of my favorite parts of this whole movie. Yeah, like you said, the intro. It's like um, it's like a more goth hocus pocus. <laughs> <laughs> wow, it sure is. She calls out to Jethro Kane, great witch guy name. Yeah, and he denies her. He is her partner, though, and he pleads under his breath with Lucifer to intercede on her behalf. A storm cloud rolls over as Selwyn gives up the game. She calls out to Lucifer to sell her soul. She says, I'll do sacrifices for eternal life and a curse on the town of Whitewood. And as this was happening, I was just thinking about how fucking insane it is to be like, hmm, the crops aren't coming in. Better go round up the town to go get Sally Jenkins and kill her in one of the most painful ways possible. <laughs> like this will fix it, right? Yeah, it's it's just it like the idea of getting to that point that you're like it's witch burning time. Well, in the movie, they do say that she is responsible for the death of Abigail Adams, dude. Classic which, Abigail Adams. It's like what? Okay, Abigail Adams then. <laughs> You don't need to know more about it than that. It's Abigail Adams. She's dead. It's her yeah. fault. Move on. That's, <laughs> you're not allowed to have questions. They're moving on quick. Yeah. And I also got to say that if you're going to go, you might as well lay down a damn curse on them. Because even if it's bullshit, that's going to fuck with the town's head for years. Come on. be like, oh, man, this, this curse is going to come in big time. <laughs> <laughs> it's a smart move. And I also really like this transition where the chanting of burn the witch does it's very slick you go to the baby face christopher lee who's a present day history teacher named alan driscoll telling his students about this murder 
And it's weird to hear him with an American accent, I will say. But he is, you know, he's smooth. There's some, it works for me. It does yeah. work for me. Yeah, me too. I, I think that he is making it work. There are some freaky demon masks hung up behind him. So you He's already some, get, yeah. <laughs> you get a little like, oh, maybe something's a little weird about this guy. Vaguely unsettling things. Yeah. I, I know it's further in the film, but he has, he's got a constantly running faucet that's like a <laughs> demon face. Fuck yeah, he does. What is that? It's like a gargoyle <laughs> that's just spitting water. It, Dude, tell me if you had the opportunity to have that, you wouldn't? Yeah, my wife already right. said yes. So <laughs> Perfect, <good>. perfect. <laughs> it's getting put in today. got to get the plumber, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I, that's, that's like one of the little like set decorating things where it's like, it could have just been like a sink. They could have just been like, all right, he's got to wash his hands. <laughs> but they're like, no, fuck that. We're putting a Satan statue uh, here that's going to, a gargoyle that's going to spit water out at him, and that's how he's going to wash his hands. <laughs> It's great. It's just the little choices like that that make a movie sing. One of his students, Nan Barlow, is really interested in witchcraft, and he encourages her to go visit Whitewood during the break. Her boyfriend, Bill Maitland, is less enthusiastic about this and the class in general. He's goofing around. He's sulking about Nan being interested, uh, as is Nan's brother, Richard, who scoffs at the idea of witchery. Richard is amazing in this movie. He's great. He's really fun. I also do like the guy who plays Bill. Uh, what's his name here? Tom Tom Naylor. Yeah, I think that he uh, he's the the character is annoying and petulant. And his accents all over the place too, but I love it. <laughs> there's something about the accents, and also um, Dick. Have you noticed? There's a couple times in the movie when he totally forgets the line. No, he goes, I can't he goes say I Miss. What is it? (laughs) There's a few times when there's some long uhs that would not normally be. If you pay attention to him, he's... uh, And two, in the director's commentary, he's like, well, he's kind of new to acting, but we got there. (laughs) Wow, that's incredible. Next watch through, I'm going to have to keep an eye out for that specifically. Yeah. But she says, fuck you guys. I'm going to go check this out. Women are doing it for themselves. She ditches on Cousin Jill's birthday party. Is it Cousin Jill? I think that's right. Yeah. I think it's Cousin Jill. And... uh, on her way up, she makes her way up to Whitewood. Nan runs into a classic Harbinger of Doom type. He warns her to stay away. He's even at a gas pump and everything. Yeah. I mean, are you even a real horror movie without a Harbinger of Doom? <laughs> <laughs> crazy Ralph, of course. Perhaps he's, he's the most well-known. Yeah. A little bit, but... No, this guy's a little more... He's a little more sane than that, but, you know... He gives directions. He's not... You, you really think he's in on it. Like, you really yeah. get the feeling... Like, it seems as though they're trying to say he may be in on it, but... Right. Doesn't he does direct them. Way. Although he does keep sending people. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, well, I've never seen anyone come back out this way, but... Into <laughs> the mouth of darkness you go. Not one of them bought gas. <laughs> yeah. Wow, he's the least they could do out there in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) We have lotto tickets out in there in the little inside. (laughs) Interestingly, though, unlike horror, most horror movies, they kind of pull like a reverse harbinger as well, where there's someone to like seduce her down the road. There's like she runs into someone who's in the midst of the fog and he confirms her direction and then asks for a ride saying that he's going there too. And you know, that of course kind of seals her fate there. You, you're not like, once you're like, Oh, I'm taking this guy there. There's no real turning around at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, Oh, it's Jethro Kane and Hey, or Keen, excuse me, Jethro Keen. And, uh, isn't that the guy from the beginning? Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. It is. 
Sure she, is. She should have been paying attention to the beginning yeah. of the movie. Classic. That, folks, that was what we in the biz call a rhetorical question, but Nan, she couldn't hear it. <laughs> <laughs> she, she didn't know. She didn't know that it was Jethro Keen, and I love this moment when they arrive. It's good. And he's vanished. It totally worked on me. Yeah. I was really taken by surprise. thought it was very effective. And no... I mean, there's a little music playing, but they, it's not like jump scare, like shrieking violins. Yeah. They just let they just let it work, and it does. Yeah, and the soundtrack to this film is, is good. I, it is a little uh, like 60s TV show is what it kind of sounds like, almost like Batman the show. Lots of oboes and woodwinds and things. And That's it, true. It, there were a few moments where I was like, oh, this song kind of rips, though. <laughs> <laughs> There's a couple like almost maybe misplaced jazzy. Yeah. But, but it does work. I, I, I don't want to I don't want to go into the Lynch territory of it all. But you you almost step through that door of the strangeness mixed with that style of music. Like yeah. when people are dancing, I know we're about to get there, but there's something to, there's something there. There is something there that works. Yeah, absolutely. And Nan heads to the Raven's Inn owned by a Miss Newless. And huh, doesn't she look familiar too? And huh, what happens if you do the classic Alucard trick of spelling it backwards? <laughs> uh Oh, uh Oh, it's Selwyn guys. That's Miss Selwyn. Don't you think Selwyn is a badass witch name? It's great. It's perfect. And I love that they pull this reverse nonsense. I, that's my favorite kind of shit. Yeah. And they even spell it differently, which is fun. Hell you just yeah. have to kind of figure it out. It's phonetic. She's <laughs> it's like, yeah, <laughs> you're, just, you're just hearing it. <laughs> but there's no room at the inn until Nan drops the professor's name. And then the newless, the newless, and then newless <laughs> acquiesces. Uh, and all of a sudden, Jethro is back and chumming it up with Newless, confirming our suspicions. Do you think that Mrs. Newless did that on purpose? I, I wonder this. Do you think she like tried to make Nan want it even more? Mm. So it seems even less likely that something evil is going on? I think it's that... It's insidious. I think that there probably just... There was like just the one room left. And they were like, if we need to make sure that this is the right girl. Because if it's not... <laughs> <laughs> like everyone is here visiting they took up all the room they say a lot of our members had to come from all over mm-hmm. and uh you know if some friggin jane nobody comes in and she just happens to be visiting and she yeah. takes up the spot and then later N- nan actually shows up and that's an and- interesting thing you mentioned that they, she says uh mrs newless says that people came from all there's a lot of little details hidden in the dialogue mm-hmm. there's a few things like that throughout the movie where the more you think about it, the creepier it becomes. And if you watch the movie a few times through, it will have more meaning. Yeah. It's pretty great. It is, especially because... So I'm going to jump ahead a little bit myself here. And I'm going to say that when you think about how uh, Alan Driscoll has sort of moved away from that environment but is still associated with them and still sends people their way, sort of as this honey trap, mm-hmm. that could be happening... All over. Christopher Lee, the ultimate honey trap. (laughs) So true. So true. Uh, Nan appears again. She shows back up, and Jethro quickly scurries away, while Newless sends her to the church for research. 
and it's in great disrepair, but it's not quite abandoned. There's an old reverend in the church who warns her to leave, saying that evil has overtaken good here. And man, oh man, when he like withdraws back into the inky blackness, it's great. Ooh, that looks good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is where you know a black and white movie, and you can really sort of let the details kind of really just be visible and, and then for him to fade away. It, it's almost r- like, remember haunting of Hill house that yeah, it's almost like a reverse that lady coming at you. Yeah. But he kind of just bye. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> it's good stuff, folks. Yeah. It's good stuff. She's freaked out by everyone in town staring at her. I think this is a reasonable reaction. <laughs> And she ducks into this little bookstore owned by Patricia Russell, who hasn't been in ta- who hasn't been in town long herself, but seems much more normal than the others, including the priest, who is revealed to be her grandfather. So everyone's connected here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pat loans Nan a book on witchcraft at her request, and also reveals a very interesting bit of information, specifically that the Professor Driscoll family is from Whitewood. Oh, oh. maybe he knows a little more than he let on here. Mm. Mm, just works a lot less when I already revealed that he is involved. <laughs> but Nan returns to the inn and she starts reading, but she starts to hear strange noises as well coming from the cellar. And she discusses it with Newless. And then this leads to a discussion of the witches as well. And it's very funny to me to hear Nan be like, I'll bet you don't know the half of it. That seems <laughs> great. Yes. <laughs> Why, you probably don't even know anything, you idiot. <laughs> I know everything there is to know about witches but to I love head witch herself. Incredible. Yeah, that, that insidious look on Mrs. Newless's face, you know she knows. Yeah. It's, man, it's good. And also, we, we haven't talked about Lottie yet. No, right. Poor Lottie. Mm. Lottie. Mm. I just, I, I think the character of Lottie is a. Uh, tragic. Is, is, is kind of magic. You, she's magic. Did you say magic? I said tragic. Well, she's magically tragic. <laughs> She is magic. I mean, she 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 shows up exactly when she's needed to, yes. to hand off yes. uh, some stuff. But she really, I mean, all she does is try and help, and she pays for mm-hmm. it. There's also a real, like, innocence to this scene. Not just in the, like, telling her, oh, I know all about witches and you don't. But the idea of her being like, wow, the coven of witches would lure a young woman to the cellar of the Raven's Inn by using a personal item to call her. By the way, no big deal. Have you seen my very personal locket? It's Isn't- so obvious when it's happening. But if, if it's on the first watch, you, it, it really works. Yeah. I, I love it. I, it just, you're, it's so fun. And even if you are like, oh, I get it, obviously, when you're watching for the first time, I think that there's like dramatic irony to that that works really well. This like inevitability of, of seeing where the plot is going to intersect and the characters have no idea, or at least one character has no idea. Yeah. You know, it's, it's that it's, it's a, an interesting helplessness that uh, it makes it very, very cool. And the fact that she just wants it so bad, it's like, she wants to be killed. <laughs> Look, she really sets herself up. To, she, she puts herself in a position to be killed, is all oh, I'll say. Oh, my room has a cellar door. I'll just <laughs> ignore that. That's probably fine. Put the carpet over it. <laughs> oh, I heard singing coming from the basement. Oh, no, but probably not. <laughs> she does allow herself to also be, like, put off a little bit and, and not... Uh, she just shrugs it off. Look, she, she, goes, she rolls with the punches. That's what a good field researcher has to do. There you go. And it's, uh, unfortunately, she pays for it with her life. 
Nan reads a little more of the book before she goes to join this dancing that you were talking about, which has this very uh, interesting music playing, and, and everyone is kind of just in the background going. They never really focus on any one group of the of the the, the coven, but that that kind of like anonymity. You don't and, really see any faces. No. Yes. Oh man, I love it. It, it creates this great aura of of mysteriousness and and again to kind of go back to that silent hillness of it big time it, oh man it, it kind of feels like i don't super want to see under there because who knows what what might be there yes. you know because it has that otherworldly feeling to the movie um it's just all it's all the shadow play is is just incredible big the whole time. way through Big time. Uh, you you didn't you, you skipped over this one aspect that I'm. I don't know. Maybe this is just me. But when she changes to go to the <laughs> dance, the lingerie she has on is startling. It is. It's startling. Look, they were clearly sitting at the t- writing table and like, all right, what do these kids like these days? We got to get something in there that'll titillate them. Yeah. All right, she's gonna strip down to a negligee and that'll yeah. get them get the kids in there. It's wild. <laughs> It is wild. Watch out for that, please. Yeah, you won't miss it, folks. You can't miss it. <laughs> she goes to join the dancing, like I said, and suddenly the inn is empty, except for Newless. Bum bum bum. She tells her that they all went to services and check your calendars, boils and ghouls, because it's freaking Candlemas Eve. <laughs> That's right, Feb one. Nana stumbled into this creepy town on one of the two nights every year when the witches perform their sacrifice. Uh oh, Nan, you done fucked up. You done did it. And finally, things start to click a little bit for Nan. <laughs> she starts to get a little skeeved out, but she freaks out even more when she returns to her room and she finds the dead blackbird on her bed, as mentioned in the treatise on devil worship that she was reading. <laughs> And she sees the coven outside, and she, she goes, all right, I got to check out what's going on with this, this dungeon here that's under this trap door under my rug. But when she enters, she's grabbed by some coven members and stabbed by Newless, who reveals herself to be Selwyn. Huge surprise to everyone. Cool they really covered her up. <laughs> when she says who she is. Oh, man. It's, it's so great. badass. Yeah. It's really great. There's also a really great match shot here. When the knife comes down, and we cut to the party, and it's the cake coming down. It's it's like quite a shock, you know? I know that we've kind of talked about how maybe there are aspects of the studio filming restrictions that made the outside world feel a little weird, but I think it is important that they do cut to it. It, it really feels like a shock to the system when we leave the world of Whitewood, which has drawn us in so well and then all of a sudden you're like oh yeah there's normal stuff out there too like yeah. uh they're having a party <laughs> it's it's yeah. great it really works well absolutely that that transition is very very good it's been done many times but in particular i, I quite like this use of that mm-hmm. and uh boy that whole scene it's it's so good that whole the whole just the, her hearing the singing coming from the basement and then being drawn in and, and you know her, the, mrs new was revealing herself and all that ending in that sort of stab down is such a quick little release that you kind of need it after all the buildup in Lightwood, right. in my opinion. So very smart to do that. Yeah. Well, plus it's such a, a shocking out 
for for Nan. You know, this is the last time that we see her. Yep. This is, you know, the psycho moment that everyone talks about is we're like halfway through this thing, maybe a little more than halfway, but yeah. exit pursued by a bear, you know? Right, Nan. <laughs> yeah. She's done. She's done big time. Did you, by the way, did you know that she married Russ Tamblin? What? Dr. Jacoby himself. What the heck? Yeah. Oh, my God. More Lynch connections. I know. I think they got divorced <laughs> uh, pretty early, but uh, oh, wow. still very cool. Yeah, that's cool. Good for her, I guess. Because he wouldn't stop wearing those glasses. That's, that must be it. Hey. Russ, please. I, no, I, think, here. I think she's in the wrong on that one. <laughs> but two weeks later, the crew is starting to get worried about Nan. And they go to call to be like, come on, Nan. It's been two weeks. Time to come home. And the operator says, there's no such place as the Ravens Inn. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> really graceful movement here in the horror house. Uh, <laughs> um, they, they, Selwyn returns the book to Pat, who has, who has come by. And this is when Lottie, the housekeeper, she slides the locket into Pat's hands on the way out. You know, Lottie, she is, she's been clearly trying to get some kind of way out. You know, she is there to help. I think that this is also a way for her to try and help herself as well, is like, mm-hmm. get out of here. Get me out of here as well. Like, yeah. let's do something about these witches. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Is there something in the movie that I've missed? I've seen it so many times. I remember one time thinking, either I heard this in the movie or I just thought this. I don't know, but... Is it that she know? Well, obviously she knows, but is is that why she's mute? Did did they cut her tongue out? Is that? Do they say that in the movie? Uh, or am I just? Did I just make that up? I think you might have made that up, bro. God, I'm good. <laughs> that would have been a good one, though. Yeah. They should have done that. Um, no, I, I don't. Uh, I don't think that I caught that, but uh, she definitely wants out, and yeah. she's being threatened by Anulis, aka Selwyn. I love the way she says, Lottie? How many times have I told you about annoying our guests, Lottie? I'll turn you out and you won't be welcome anywhere. Yes, I'll turn you out. (laughs) So she gets this locket, but she doesn't get a chance to look at it immediately because she runs into a cop called by Bill and Richard. This scene is pretty funny to me. Uh, Classic, ineffective cop. He looks at a book called A Treatise on Devil Worship, and instead of being like, hmm, maybe I should look at this book. I know she was reading. And, huh, she even has the page that she stopped at, marked off. He goes, wow, crazy stuff these college kids get up to these days. I guess I'll put it in the report. Here you go. Bye. <laughs> at least you put it in the report. I mean, come on. <laughs> well, he says, like, yeah, well, I guess we'll put it in the report. But um, that said, Pat doesn't run after him to be like, wow, she also left this locket behind <laughs> that she loved. You know, maybe something bad has happened here. So, you know, I guess uh, both parties at fault on that end. Can I pitch to you uh, like a mini series, Whitewood PD? Wow. And it's like essentially hot fuzz, but it's those cops sure. uncovering uh, their witches. That'd be fun, right? <laughs> um, yes. Green light. Just, it's right in front of their faces and they can't. They're like, we just don't get it. That'd be fun. <laughs> I love it. I love That'd that. This is a great idea. Mm-hmm. I'm going to cut this out because I don't want anyone stealing Sold. it. Sold. Mail it to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. I'll just I'll put that in the mail before this episode airs, and then Please we'll do. have we'll, we'll have our asses coming. Mail it to me too. <laughs> We're good. We cut back to Christopher Lee, and he's shown sacrificing a dove. He too is a witch, and he fends off the question of Richard 
This is also when he washes his hands in the fountain, by oh, the way. Oh, that's a hot scene. This is the moment. <laughs> and I like when he, like, he, like, stops, like, three times to look around and, like, make sure that everything is in place. Yes. Before he goes to the door? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's smart. It's not enough bad guys check to make sure that everything's in place. It's also so realistic. Like, like Mom said, don't play PlayStation. Uh, and you got to make sure that the couch doesn't look like you sat on it. The controllers are put away. <laughs> And uh, your snacks that you were eating at the time are gone. Exactly. It's, I and get it. they're hurrying him, but, you know, measure twice, cut once. That's what they say. <laughs> In this case, look around three times, open the door once. But he manages to fend off the questions of Richard. And he is uh, shuffled out, but then he runs into Pat, who's also on the hunt for Nan. So very fortuitous timing on both of their ends Mm -hmm. and he's a little nervous christopher lee is starting to feel the pressure a little bit people are asking questions uh and he tries to get the locket away but she insists that she hold on to it and she gets richard's address he Uh, knows it why does he know the address uh because they live right next to each other i guess judging by the next scene when they all leave (laughs) holy shit you just explained why it looks like this my question is answered (laughs) wow i told you you i'm good yeah, wow. This, folks, this is this is why we get him back. We're breaking new ground. <laughs> she goes to tell Richard what info she has, and she says she has to get back, but Richard says he's going to drop in on her tomorrow when he goes to Whitewood. He can't get away this evening. But on her way back, Pat has the same experience with Jethro, and you realize, oh, shit, they're planning to sacrifice her next yep. for the witch's sabbath oh yeah god damn god damn that's some good stuff <laughs> <laughs> it's funny too that the disappearance of jethro when she shows up it, i wouldn't say it works as well the second time but you're still like oh they did it, it works <laughs> they do it slightly differently but it's still yeah it works it does yeah, work it sure does and it's a, it's a great tune as the men travel to white white oh Wood. you're not kidding Ooh, i love that shit fire yeah Fully uh, fire. <laughs> and Richard also runs into that Harbinger of Doom guy. And this guy has got to be like, I've never seen this many fucking people. Like at the beginning, <laughs> he was like, no one ever comes out this way. And this is yeah. like the sixth person traveling back and forth now. Bill, on the other hand, gets hit with a vision of Selwyn attacking the car. And he crashes, barely surviving. It's a good like stunt. There. It's not like, bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You got the fire coming out of the front of the car. Yeah, he's stumbling out. Uh, he puts his hand quite close to where the fire comes out. <laughs> Made me nervous. Yeah. Uh, That's it, a good way to is. burn your hand, folks. Yeah. It's the, one of the best. Yeah. What about that guy on, uh, was it, okay, this is a total, was it Was it Survivor where a guy like fell asleep and fell into a fire? Holy shit. Did that happen? I, it might have. I, that passed me by, but yeah, yeah holy yeah, yeah. shit! I think it. Look it up, kids. All right, look it up. I have to check it out. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. <laughs> a terrible injury on the set of a television program is awesome. Human injury commoditized. We love it. Hell yeah. <laughs> where, where? I'm sorry. Hands are being burned. No. Uh, Richard is investigating the village, while Lottie, trying to warn him, is discovered to be writing a note. And she's killed by Selwyn and Jethro. Big rip to Lottie. Yep. We hardly knew ye, but you did a lot for the plot. A Lottie. A lot. You did a Lottie for the plotty. Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Reverend Russell 
reveals the scope of the coven's control of Whitewood to Richard. But Patricia finds the witch's threats as well. And the the blackbird and the sprig of some something. It was some kind uh, of plant. It's, uh, it's called a sprig of... Hold on, I have it. It's a sprig of woodbine. There you go. Which is a, a combination of several unrelated climbing vines. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, which, you gotta have a sprig of that. The reason I looked that up is because the first time I watched this film, I watched it with my wife, and she, it legitimately gave her a, a true nightmare. Wow. And and it was that scene. It was when when the, the when is essentially the concept of finding the bird, seeing the thing on the wall and then finding that one of your personal possessions was gone. She had that dream that night. Uh, and it was very effective on her. She she talked about I mean she still talks about it. anytime I put that movie on. She's like, "Oh, this movie." So, uh, yeah. it it can work. It, it does. And and that that whole I just love when there's this little it's like there's these little rules mm-hmm. and that you learn and then you see it again. And this is the second time we've seen it in a movie earlier when it happened to Nan. So yeah. I just love that little, you get those little rules and there it is again. And you know what's happening. It's only by establishing the rules that we're able to follow along. And mm-hmm. so when we can see the pieces falling into place, we're like, oh shit, I know what happens next. And yep. next is that they're going to fucking try and kill her. Yep. <laughs> like This movie, it does the repetition thing. You yep. also get like the shots, like he was talking about in the commentary, the shots of the people standing and staring in the street, the, the shots of uh, the, you know, the hotel, just all the different shots that repeat over and over. That repetition builds the tension because what might be different this time? Yeah, it's the reason why that game PT works so well. You're walking down a hallway over and over and over, but what's different this time? That's another Silent Hill connection, baby. That's what I'm saying, George. <laughs> we're ripping this thing apart, tearing it down. That's right. That's absolutely right. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. And great moment when they call over to Richard to be like, "Yo, Richard, found this shit." But the call is cut short by a scream as Selwyn laughs. Great. Great moment. Selwyn is just so good in this movie. She She's really, really holds it together. Good. Big time. Ooh, man, oh, man. Just, she's really biting out of that apple of evil. She, she yeah. was, she's going for it big time. Richard goes after her, and he finds a grave with Alan Driscoll's name on it, revealing not just his family was there. It was him. He also has eternal life, one of the coven members. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. That's bad news. It's bad news. <laughs> at this point, it, it is funny that they're just like throwing that in too. At the end, they're like, "Shit, he was part. He's fully involved. <laughs> like, bring him back in." Richard heads into the secret meeting area himself, and he finds the group there holding Patricia until the thirteenth chime. Uh, Dick bumps into the f- most fake spider you've ever seen. It's great. It's it's laugh out loud funny if you're really looking. It's Hell so yeah. good. it's so good. Hey. <laughs> Sometimes you got to hit the local party fair. Oh, yeah. And that's exactly what it is. Bill shows up. He's very injured, but he does manage to show up, grab this big wooden cross, and at Richard's urging to, to cover them in the shadow of this cross, which was revealed to him by the reverend, it's a little game of telephone happening here that works out, uh, <laughs> he burns the coven members alive, or I guess they're kind of undead. Whatever Pretty damn good effect when the, when the one bursts into flames right there, the first one. Hell yeah. That's a great effect. It really works. It looks really good. <sighs> I also like that they lose track of Selwyn during the scuffle, that like it's not just like, well... Everyone died. Here's Selwyn. Mission accomplished. Yeah. She gets a uh, like a little outro of her own. They head over to the inn looking for her, where it's revealed that 
through the lack of sacrifice, this has undone her pact with the devil, and she has died, burned as though she had been just taken down from the stake. And as Zelda Rubenstein once said, this village is now clean. <laughs> exactly like that. You pulled the audio. That's really cool of you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> you you, uh, you we, prepare so well for the show. We put the, we put the effort in, folks. Uh, Dustin, this is my big surprise to you. It was not pulled audio. <gasps> Zelda Rubenstein is here. Come on in, Zelda. <laughs> from beyond the grave. Hey, <sighs> where else would she do a poltergeist reading from? So good. And that's it. I mean... That's the end of the movie. We get a nice fade out. I guess it's a, ha- I mean, as happy an ending as you're going to get with this many deaths of main characters, you know, <laughs> for real. Yeah. They're not afraid to, to cut these people out. I was kind of impressed with that, to be honest. Yeah. No one is safe. <laughs> no one is safe. And, and, and that's it. And now, Dustin, we've reached the part of the show where we sum up why this is not just a delightful horror movie, an artifact from 1960. But why this is, in fact, still, in 2021, the best horror movie ever made. And you know I gotta let you start things off, man. George, this is the best horror movie ever made. For many, many reasons. And it is a real, true, personal favorite of mine that I watch, at least yearly. I usually put it on around Halloween. I have a young daughter, and it's, like, okay to put on around her, because, like, what's really going on, you know? Yeah. I projected it in the backyard last year, and it was just so, it was so nice. Oh, that's rad. So, for me, this movie is all about the atmosphere. It's all about that. Christopher Lee Glauer. It's, it's, it's all about the mood, the, that pocket universe. It's all about the strangeness and the fog and the people on the streets. And uh, just, it's amazing. Just all those, all of it comes together into this strange, comfortable, cozy package that the black and white so works, the lighting so works. The, it's something about the accents, too. It just it just all fucking works, George. It fucking yeah. works. It's beautiful. I'm, I'm urging everyone to watch this movie. I'm sure a lot of people probably haven't seen it. it it's fairly bloodless. There's it's no public language. Domain. You can watch it, it anyway. Yeah. You don't have to get the Shout Factory. But please but you get should. that blue if you can. You it looks so good. I just urge people. It's such a good movie. George, yes. you're, hey, you're up. To me, this is the best horror movie ever made because it is just spectacular looking. I mean, it, it looks incredible, but it would be one thing if it just looked good. But it kind of pulls in not just like aspects of other movies that I think are interesting, but it, it kind of winds up feeling like the ultimate consolidation of what I like about classic horror. Hell yeah. You know, it's, it's low budget, but not stripped bare. You can see where the money went. But it's still people kind of cobbling things together. There are flaws in the performances that make it feel real. That make it... And even the the ones that make it feel unreal make me feel good as a movie watcher. Like, that's the kind of thing that I like about watching older stuff that isn't as polished. Which is not to say that this doesn't have polish, because it does to spare. It's you pretty know, slick, yeah. It, 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 th- this is a movie of paradoxes, in that it is, at the same time, r- retro and modern. And that conflict is very much at the core of the movie itself. And for it to sort of exist in this great meta meta-textual way, and still 
function well as a movie, as a narrative film. I enjoy it. I think it's good. The, the plot is interesting. The performances really work when they need to work. I just think it's the best horror movie ever made, guys. George, I'm so glad you said that because I was truly nervous when I suggested this movie <laughs> that I had made a mistake. No, no, sir. I uh, really, truly enjoyed this one. And I would like to echo Dustin's sentiments that if you are able, you should check out the, the Shout Factory Blue because Dude, it really does look spectacular. Oh, my God. It's so good. Let me ask you a question before we, before we wrap up. Sure. Uh, if you were going to remake this today, first of all, do you think that would be cool? Do you think a remake would, would suit this well? Yes. I do, but I think you got to keep it black and white, baby. I agree with you. And doesn't it seem like a perfect thing for maybe someone who directed something, I don't know, like a, something about a lighthouse or a witch? Oh, that know. would be interesting. <laughs> huh. Now that you mentioned that, I think that could be kind of cool. I just think it could work. I do think that would be really cool. I will also say not to pigeonhole her too much, but, and I, you know, this is, this is beyond just, uh, the black and white similarity, but I think that Anya Lily Amirpour, the director of A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, oh my god, that using a lot of that stark imagery that she really made absolutely fantastic in that movie, yeah, uh, I think that she could take a really interesting stab at a movie like this. And of course, you know, it was in black and white. She knows yeah. how to work in that medium, but it's not just the black and white. I think that comparison is like super good. Yeah, it's also the the, the filmmaking style. It's Weirdly, I can see a parallel. Yeah. For sure. George, you nailed it. Folks, this is why they pay me the big bucks. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, like I said, this movie is great. Dustin is great. Dustin, tell them where they can listen and see you being great. Oh, now. I do a podcast that I do occasionally talk about horror. Uh, it's called Nerds, Geeks in the Kitchen Sink. We talk a lot of like Marvel-y stuff and a lot of the pop culture and like whatever movie's big that week, we'll talk about that kind of nerdy stuff. Um, it's a fun time. Um, I also do um, sort of like synthy electronic music. It's, uh, it's sort of retro inspired. Ah, it's okay. It's great. Um, you can get that at um, D-K-R-E-F-F-T dot bandcamp.com um my last record was about uh there's no lyrics but it's about dracula so if you're into the, the vibe of a dracula yeah. seen through a synthy lens uh, also a little bit of metal sort of that's what i do it's not great but you may dig Wrong. it some people who may listen may they may like it <laughs> i disagree and i'm on twitter uh at d d k r e f f t at d craft that's it go check out all that stuff but wait can i do another one more plug yeah guys there's a there's a show I really like. It's called Best Little Horror House in Philly, and it, they, oh, no. they have this they have this shut up George. They have this amazing Patreon that you can join, and it is worth your time and money, and you will have such a good time. Please, please do that Patreon, please. I very much appreciate the kind words, and you know a lot of work goes into the show, and so if you wanted to support it, I wouldn't say no. That rhymed. I'm killing it over here. <laughs> I'm also on Twitter at Little Horror PHL, so follow me there if you want to hear me talk about all kinds of horror. That's it, I guess. Check it, check those places out. Rate and review if you're enjoying the show as well, but don't want to sign up for the Patreon. That's a good way you could still help. Okay, bye everyone. Bye. 